Welcome back to Politically Speaking, Scotland's flagship political podcast. My name is Mandy Rhodes. I'm the editor of Holyrood magazine. So this is the last episode of the podcast for this year and what a year. So I've got Gemma Fraser, one of the journalists with me today, and we're just going to talk about Good year, bad year. I suspect that'll be heavily weighted in in one direction, but we'll see how we get on. And here's a little snapshot of the show that's coming. This time last year, we were just coming out of the election. Obviously, it was a good year for Boris. He just won his majority. Um, but I think we were all waiting for the proverbial to hit the fan, if you like. But um, Well, we were, but we weren't expecting this, were we? <laughs> I just, I think it's a sad loss because he is somebody that thinks quite hard and that interrogates facts and um, he's tried to do this around the whole shorthand uh, as the trans issue, but it's been the whole issue about the Gender Recognition Act and reform of that and much wider. And I just feel people need to step back a bit and think what's happened if somebody like Andy has to resign because he feels that the Green Party can't accommodate questions. Yeah, because I didn't. I wasn't true to myself. And it's really funny because part of this is about my own integrity and the own, my ability to look myself in the mirror. So Gemma, I hesitate to say, shall we just, shall we try and start with good year <laughs> what has happened I mean do you know I was looking back at it and I thought this time last year we were just coming out of the election obviously it was a good year for Boris he just won his majority yeah. um but I think we were all waiting for the proverbial to hit the fan if you like but, well we were um, but we weren't expecting this were we <laughs> No, and do you know, maybe the signs were there, because do you remember, if you cast your mind back, we had Emily still working with us. Emily was a journalist who joined us from Australia, and she was looking at a ghast in January at the um, fires that were sweeping through Australia. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it was just horrendous. Maybe that was the the sign of what this year was going to bring us, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to believe that that was January. It feels like a lifetime ago now, doesn't it? I know. I mean that's gone straight into the bad year. So <laughs> let's try and let's try and pull out a couple of good things. And I mean, even some of those can also be personal things. But I guess for me, uh, the overriding good news of the year was the U.S. presidential election, and mm-hmm. we will see the um, the exit of Trump. And I think it's not been a, a, a an edifying experience for the U.S. on the world stage. Yeah. That would be my good good news. Yeah, I mean, a bit closer to home. I, I um, think good news-wise, the, the passing of the period products bill um, was yeah. just such a, a great step forward. For and, and we had the whole world looking at Scotland as an example of what can be achieved. So, um, yeah. And in a good way. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think the other thing for me on the world stage was that uh, I think the Black Lives Matter, the, yeah. you know, the killing of George Floyd was hopefully, I mean, dreadful, dreadful, tragic uh, thing to happen, but hopefully a watershed. Um, yeah, that's certainly what, in time. What, what it appeared like, you know, it was just unbelievable the the kind of the way it, it, such a tragic awful event brought the world together you know unified in, in one cause and that was amazing to see it here in, in, in Scotland and in Edinburgh as well. Yeah it almost felt like I mean Black Lives Matter felt a bit like um, the Me Too moment the yeah. year before. Yeah um, was that just the year before? Gosh my time has taken on just such a strange dimension yeah, hasn't it? Has, yeah just uh, because I think we're continually saying was that just then or yeah just bizarre I mean I think then well you and I were just talking about it we came into Scottish politics and in February Derek Mackay I mean that was a huge huge shocker for everybody I think yeah yeah and I, you know, that brought in, I guess, lots. <laughs> I feel like I'm veering straight back in, of course, to bad news, aren't I? Yes. So, think, bringing yeah. it back, let's just say good news. Good news was, I think, the climate change um, issue went very much up the global yeah. agenda. Mm-hmm. I mean, even at Davos, that was the theme. It was a much more pared down Davos. Perhaps they'll do away with it altogether at some point. Yeah. But it was yeah. very much about what do we do about the environment? 
Absolutely, and obviously the, the green recovery as well after after COVID. Um, you see, you're linking into it again. Wow, <laughs> but then, but then I guess you know, in January, February, probably February, we were starting to look at some of the news coming out of uh, Wuhan and kind of going, yeah. oh, "What's this thing that's happening so far away that's yeah. nothing to do with us?" I know. Um, like you, you remember back in February, March, and I'm still every day getting this packed train into the office. You know, no face coverings, nothing. They literally in someone else's face the train was so busy and that's just such a strange concept now when you think back it really is I mean I think you know at the end of the day that our lives have all completely and utterly changed so yeah. let's talk about the bad <laughs> year um, because 2020 has been a year like no other year I think um, and hopefully one will never experience again hopefully not although it's not not starting out so well for 2021 is it I mean Saturday's no. announcement was just yeah yeah uh, I I mean I think uh, well again we've talked about this before but I think the public were perhaps further ahead than the politicians and the scientists mm. not not the scientists but certainly the political mood many of us had already decided that Christmas yeah. was going to be uh, a much more solitary affair yeah yeah. Uh, you know, I think with the vaccine, knowing that there was a vaccine coming and, um, you know, hopefully we will get through this very quickly. Why would you put it all at risk? I, you know, I, I have to say, I just didn't understand the politics behind it at all. Uh, yeah, I, I totally get that. I think that, that that decision should have been made, you know, weeks and weeks ago, though, to, to do it on the Saturday before Christmas is, is way worse. It was almost, you know. I think they should have just said back then that Christmas wouldn't be a social affair. You know, you wouldn't be able to go into other people's households back then. You know? I mean, it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because you and I remember remember the briefing. I, I'm trying to think, was that back in October, maybe early November, when the daily briefing and basically Nicola Sturgeon was being put in a position by the journalists to say that she was going to cancel Christmas. Yeah. And it was to get a headline. Mm-hmm. And I, I think she was reluctant to be drawn there. Mm-hmm. But actually, that you're right. That would have been the moment where perhaps they should have said, look, this isn't. this is just not going to be possible. Mm-hmm. Because there are many families who have planned for a Christmas together. And I just feel so sorry for them at this stage that they aren't able to do that you know yeah I mean close to home yeah my son was coming back from London and um thankfully he came back on Friday Mm -hmm. uh normally he'd be last minute and um luckily he wasn't but his girlfriend's French and she can't get home at the moment although just as I was leaving the house, I think the news was saying that um France has reached some sort of agreement with Grant Shapps on the ports opening and, oh, and right, some okay. travel being allowed. Yeah. Um, because that's horrendous, uh, isn't those, it? Oh, those scenes from London of people rushing. It was like, you know, the, the end of days. I oh, know, that's it. 28 days later was uh, trending on uh, Twitter. Oh, was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it was just awful. And I suppose that, you know, that's been part of the issue about the communication of mm. all of this, hasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I noted yeah. that um, Nicola Sturgeon was one of the top 50 women, Times top 50 women, along with Jacinda Hearn and various other women that have made their mark over the year. And it, mm-hmm. she has communicated things better. But I think, you know, we've repeated this over and over again. It's whether the outcomes will be any different. Yeah, I think you could see Sat- the, the announcement on Saturday night was you could see in Nicola Sturgeon how difficult that was for her mm-hmm. it was a really tough day for everyone I imagine well it's her I mean I you know I think if, I guess when we rake over all the calls and I presume there'll be a point where she talks about how she felt during this process yeah. you do have to wonder did she feel that she should have gone earlier should mm. she have diverged earlier on all things but you know I again so. it came back to some of the powers around things like furlough yeah. and um there wasn't the ability to be able to go alone. It was interesting, actually, in her statement on Saturday that she said if she had her time again, she would have locked us mm-hmm. all down earlier. 
Yeah, I heard that. There was a point, wasn't there, where she said that um, when you look back to February, March, mm-hmm. yeah, that she would have yeah. done, in retrospect, she would have done yeah. things, but then exactly. retrospect's a wonderful thing, isn't it? That's true, um, yeah. So, you know, she doesn't want to make the same mistakes again. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, on that same <clears throat> issue, I guess, of retrospect and making mistakes, the drug deaths as well yeah. from last week, that's yeah. horrendous. Um, and entirely predictable yes yeah there's no no shock at all i suppose what worries me about that is that nicola sturgeon's made herself um front and center on the covid issue Mm -hmm. and she's doing it again on the drugs issue you know she's saying she'll take responsibility she's Mm -hmm. got to be able to step back and allow her ministers um if they're up to it to show that they're up to it yeah Um, yeah sorry No, I was just going to say in that new, it's a new role completely. Um, And I think that reflects the seriousness of it all. It does, yeah. So hopefully then she will be able to take the step back once Angela's in place and there's a real focus on it. Yeah. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, our drug issues have been long running and they're deep rooted um, and there's not, I'm, she's absolutely right there isn't one answer there's got, got to be lots of answers but we really do have to take it seriously mm-hmm. uh, I've, I've been involved in this for about 30 odd years and it's just yeah. um it just gets bigger and bigger and you feel overwhelmed by it mm-hmm. um, and like a lot of yeah. things this year they have been put to the side haven't they because the focus has been on covid yeah but all that COVID's done is expose all our inequalities, you know, Absolutely. and some, hasn't it, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, do you know what? I think the other thing is that the thing that I found very difficult over this year is the people, well, we both know that the, lots of people out there think they're now experts on COVID and think <laughs> they're experts on diagnosing everything. But also it's been about the political discourse, you know, this view that, people are right about something and it's very binary you're yeah. right I'm wrong that kind of mm-hmm. thing um and I, you know again we saw that at the end of just as we we're coming out to the end of the parliament before the break for Christmas yeah. with the resignation of Andy Whiteman mm-hmm. and we are yeah. going to listen to Andy Shortley because we did really emotional interview with him um just as he was resigning and mm. you could feel his upset. I mean, he was sobbing during yeah. the interview and you could feel his frustration at, 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 at being a reasonable person, trying to understand an issue that has got so many people inflamed against mm-hmm. each other, people that would normally be on the same kind of political side, if you like. It's a big loss, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a huge loss. I mean, I, he, when I spoke to him last week, he was still saying he doesn't know if he would stand again as an independent. That's quite a hard gig to carry off. Yeah. Um, but certainly the reaction on social media to him resigning would suggest that he would he would make a good fist yeah, of being absolutely. an independent. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, I just, I think it's a sad loss because he is somebody that thinks quite hard and that interrogates facts and um he's tried to do this around the whole what's become shorthand uh, as the trans issue but it's been the whole issue about the gender recognition act and reform of that and much wider mm-hmm. um and i just feel people need to step back a bit and think what's happened if somebody like andy has to resign because he yeah. feels that the green party can't accommodate questions and he has to, to live with the fact that he voted against what he wanted to do, you know, and that's hard yeah. for him. That's a really hard. Yeah. You could really feel that, Gemma, when yeah. he was talking about it. Um, I mean, he said to me that even as he walked into the chamber, he was still thinking he might vote with the amendment. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, he went with what his party had all agreed. They don't have a formal whipping process in the Greens, but they basically all kind of decide consensually but mm-hmm. uh, I mean you'll hear it in the interview the way he yeah. describes what was decided consensually didn't sound very consensual to me mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. I think what we're going to hear first is what he the speech he made in parliament just before he voted against the amendment. Thank you Ms Lennon I call Andy Whiteman to be followed by Emma Harper. 
Thank you very much, Presiding Officer. <clears throat> this debate is about victims of very, very serious crime. Some of the most heinous crimes that can be committed against a person. And as rape crisis Scotland state, the feedback we have from survivors is that the most important issue is access to a female doctor. The lack of access to a female doctor is what causes the most trauma. I've thought long and hard about this, and I'm speaking in my own capacity. Victims of crime have told me directly how important it is that access is available to a female examiner, and I thank them sincerely for the experiences they have shared with me. That importance, presiding officer, is beyond uh, any doubt. Now, I came to the view after looking at this proposal early this week in what has been an extremely busy week, that the statutory interpretation of Section 9 of the 2014 Bill was clear. It was clear because the intention of the Stage 2 amendment lodged by the Cabinet Secretary for Justice, Kenny McCaskill, at the time, was to do precisely what Scottish Women's Aid and Rape Crisis Scotland wanted at the time, namely that female victims, survivors, should be able to request a female doctor. It followed debate on what became Section 8 of that Act, the right not to actually just request, but to actually be interviewed by a female interviewer. And that provision was in order to implement an EU Directive 2012-29 of 25th October 2012, which established EU minimum standards on the right support and protection of victims of crime. And Article 23.2d of that directive states that measures shall be available which include that all interviews, and I quote, with victims of sexual violence, gender-based violence, or violence in close relationships unless conducted by the prosecutor or a judge being conducted by a person of the same sex as the victim, if the victim so wishes, provided that the course of the criminal proceedings will not be prejudiced. And section, what became Section 9 of the 2014 Act was agreed as an extension to the then Section 8 provisions. So I'm not convinced that it is necessary to make any amendments to the 2014 Act to secure its principal purpose of ensuring that victims have some say in the sex of their examiner and their interviewer. And the conflation of sex and gender in this context is not, in my view, particularly problematic, as it's very clear from the intention behind the 2014 Act and Principle Section 8 and Section 9 that it was indeed to provide access to a female doctor where a female victim requested that, and to the extent that the courts will always interpret legislation in line with what the intentions of Parliament were, I think they're fairly clear from that and from the EU Directive. However, I am concerned that the use of the term gender in the 2014 Act may in future be open to greater ambiguity as a result of contemporary debates about the rights of transgender people. Gender and sex are distinct terms with different meanings. But in 2013, that was not so regarded. Now, latterly, I was inclined to support Johan Lamont's amendment, as I think it could or might put rest to any legitimate doubts that might exist. But I am concerned at the tone of some of this debate. I'm concerned that there has been no scrutiny of Amendment 28, and that for many people, this seems to be a debate about anything other than the victims of sexual assault. And so in conclusion, presiding officer, I am concerned about the possibility of ambiguity. I would invite the Cabinet Secretary to set out how she might explore how this, how this ambiguity may be resolved in future and whether such legislation already on the statute books does indeed need to be clearer about the, the distinction in order to put any doubts to rest. And with that, presiding officer, I will be voting against the amendment. Thank you very much, Mr Whiteman. And it was really interesting, Gemma, listening to that speech, because all the way through it, I thought, oh, um, this is interesting. Andy's going to vote for the amendment, which was not his party's position. And then, of course, he voted against it. So I started off by asking him what had basically happened there. And we're going to hear from him now. Oof, a lot happened. <laughs> I mean, in terms of the actual vote, I wanted to vote yes. I, With um, the amendment? To the amendment. Yeah. Um, 
I'd wrote that speech to vote yes. Um, but as I left the office to go to the chamber, we'd had some, let's say, difficult discussions. Who? Well, me and the rest of the group. Um, and when I've been in and around this issue in the past, um, I've been the subject of complaints and discipline and stuff. So um, it was quite a difficult afternoon. I was ready to vote yes, but I knew if I voted yes, I'd have to submit my resignation straight away. The, the two went together. I'm not going to get drawn into discipline and stuff. I'm just not interested in all that. And I didn't have time to process the consequences of all of that because, like, do I have to make my staff redundant tomorrow? I'm going to lose my seat. What I mean, I just had not even thought about all that consequences. So I essentially bought myself some time. Um, well, not much time. I decided Friday or morning to resign. Um, and we've allowed some days to elapse to, you know, make sure we can handle it and sort out some practical stuff, which is fine because we both need to come out of this um, in as good a place as we can. So that that's what happened. I, I wanted to vote yes, but couldn't bring myself to do it. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm ashamed I didn't actually, but that's where we are. Because language matters. Um, I mean, it matters not just in this bigger debate about gender and sex, um, but it matters in legislation. I mean, that's our job. We've got three jobs. We represent our constituents. We hold the government to account. And we make laws. So words matter. Um, I'm quite clear that the circumstances surrounding the 2013 bill that became the Act in 2014, Section 8, uh, the right to, to have an interviewer, of your chosen gender, and that you, you must that must be respected. That follows from an EU directive, which uses the word sex, but they chose the drafters used chose to use gender. Section nine was then introduced: the right to request, actually a very weak power, the right to request, um, which I think and hope in time will be strengthened, obviously to become a mandatory choice. Um, use the same terminology, and uh, I mean statutory interpretation is all about words. Gender doesn't have any real meaning, so you look at the intent, and the intent was to allow female victims to female examiners. It's quite clear no court case was going to find that it had any other meaning, right? But sex and gender now are very contested terms, and, for example, if Section 9 ever does get strengthened uh, to give victims a choice, which must be respected in terms of an examiner, this argument will come again. So there was a good argument to strengthen the 2014 Act to amend it to reflect the proper intentions of what it was trying to do. And the proper intentions it was trying to do was to give victims the right to choose, to request, sorry. Um, typically, a female examiner would like a female, uh, a female victim like a female examiner. Actually, male victims, I'm, I'm told, often wish female examiners as well. Um, that being the case, males and females are, those are our two sexes. So that was perfectly logical and sensible, just at a sort of rational level, and I also did want to vote for it because I just felt and I would have liked us to have this discussion. Didn't get there. To my mind, it seemed a very straightforward way politically of demonstrating that we could acknowledge and um, respect the fact that people have got concerns about all this. It was just six words, as they say. Um, the legal effect was modest, if any. Just symbolically, we could have done that to show we can... This has so, really upset you, Andy, hasn't it? I don't... I mean, I've got lots of good friends who, who are paying close attention to what I do in politics for all the right reasons. Um, but the things that have happened in politics around this are ones that I can't, I'm not comfortable defending to them, okay? Because, I mean, to my mind, this is, actually, at an intellectual level, this is a fascinating debate, utterly fascinating. And the one thing that my resignation has demonstrated to me is I actually have a much, much better understanding of, I'm, 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 I'm on a journey. I think actually everyone's on a journey, right? 
And I'm not nearly at the destination, um, but I'm a few stops along the way from where I was at the beginning of last week. And it matters. So, and I think when you talk about, yeah, I mean, for women, what it is to be a woman is, I, I can't actually imagine, it's not the same as being a man, what a man is to be a man. It's not the same, it doesn't have the same intensity because we are living in a society of millennia of of patriarchy. Actually, we're not, actually. <laughs> Pre-modern societies are actually much more um, equal. There's lots of examples of that. But in terms of the minute we started settling and growing crops and owning land um, and having rules, we've been living in a very male world. So I don't know what it is to be a woman because I'm not a woman. But this stuff matters a lot to a lot of people. And it deserves to be taken seriously. It deserves to be subject of mature debate. There are difficult areas in this, but there's difficult areas in all this, most of the stuff we deal with, and we get through it. Mm-hmm. And what's upsetting about this really is, as much as anything else, it is very, 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 very difficult to have a sensible conversation about it. Now, most conversations about things that people might disagree about or do disagree about involve a level of tolerance and understanding on both sides that you have to know what the other party's meaning, right? And people will sometimes say the wrong things or use the wrong words. And you have to have a discussion where that can be tolerated. And you can say, well, actually, I meant whatever. But this is a debate that's so censorious. Every word that comes out of your mouth is... Um, examined for meaning. Um, And frankly, I'm someone who, you know, I'm a product of the Enlightenment. I I am a rational being. I uh, like critical thinking. I like to work out where I should get to. And then often I think, well, how does that marry with green politics? And 90% of the time it's in the same space, which is very comforting. If it wasn't, I'd be in another party. But I like to work it through because I like to be confident of where I am. And on this debate, I just haven't been able to talk it through. I haven't been able to work out what this is all about because in my party there is a substantial, there's a very, very censorious attitude. So you talked about intolerance there. I mean, are you having to leave because the Greens are intolerant of a discussion about sex and gender? Yes. And are they intolerant of... The women's voice in that. So when I say yes, that's obviously not... I mean, a political party like any organisation is a multifaceted thing. I mean, I would say most members of the party don't really think about this very much. Um, But, yes, I mean, I... 18 months ago, you may remember, because I think you... You and I spoke the next day. (laughs) Okay, right. You know, I went to a meeting... We've been on this journey together, Yeah, yeah. So I went to a meeting at Edinburgh University... Um, I can't remember what it was called, but it was about... It was on sex-based rights. Right. I think, or sex-based violence. Possibly. Um, And there was... Yeah, there was an assault afterwards. Yeah. And I I tweeted about that and condemned it and immediately got leapt upon internally by people in the party. So the idea that you can't actually go to a meeting... There were other Green members there. We have to talk about this stuff. So it was made very, very plain to me that I was out of order. Now I chose at that time to recant. It sounds ridiculous, you know, publish a statement, regretting the upset and stuff like that. Um, I'm, you know, I'm ashamed of having done that at the time. But it's funny being in the political bubble. You see, you are subject of not just the forces within your own party, your colleagues in Parliament, um, comment on social media, your own family and friends. Um, you're subject to all sorts of perspectives and you are discussed and your views are dissected. And it's I'm perfectly comfortable in that space. I'm, I'm, I'm happy defending any view I have on the basis that I'm prepared to change my mind, always. But I could not understand for the life of me why I wasn't allowed to go to a meeting I then couldn't understand why I wasn't allowed to sign a motion that upheld the right to free speech. I did sign that motion. That was a line I wasn't willing to concede. 
So, yes, there is an intolerance. And, I, you know, there's an intolerance, there's a lot of intolerance around a lot of topics in society at the moment. I'm not quite sure why, um, but this is one where it's uh, particularly acute. And, um, yeah. Yeah, it's strange that debates become so binary when we're talking about a subject that is so not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, I mean, let's cut to the chase here. The leadership of the party, Patrick, is, is very fixed on what gender and sex might be. Key, key, key people in the party have got some ideas about gender and sex that are um, uh, not not they're not there's a very yeah Members of the party have embraced queer theory. In uh, See, there's nothing... I don't criticise that, right? I mean, any party, any organisation, any workplace is perfectly entitled to have its corporate view, its political view. It's not so much that the we've moved to a space where sex doesn't matter and indeed the minute you talk about it, you're accused of being a bigot and a transphobe, which is obviously... a ridiculous so yes words have become words have been bent and twisted to mean things that I don't quite understand what they mean yes I mean there's a kind of fundamental paradox for me that the the Greens surely of all parties given climate change and the belief in the science behind that should believe that sex is binary gender is multifaceted and people should be whoever they want to be. But I, I mean, I've heard that coming out of political leaders' mouths, that sex is not binary, that it's an assigned thing. Um, There's been lots of strange things said, that's one. Um, and I've, you know, privately I've said, what's this all about? I don't understand this. How, what, are, what are voters meant to think about this? Um, and I haven't got an answer. And that's actually a curious thing as well, in the sense that I don't know where that's coming from. Well, I do. I mean, it's coming from queer theory or someplace. But, you know, a political party needs to... I mean, you know, in many respects, I admire... I mean, I, I, am, I, I am a Green. I will remain one, right? I am a member of the global Green movement. I believe in the analysis that we're not only going to save the planet with equality, peace, radical democracy... And, and, and sustainable environmental policies. Those are the four core principles of green politics, and I still share them, and will always, I can't imagine myself shifting from them. But, so in that sense, we've got a tough struggle to persuade the world and our electorate in this small, the world we're on, that it's in their interest to do certain things, to mitigate, to reverse, to stem a pretty serious threat that we face, an existential threat. And that's not something that people can readily grasp, right? So it's a hard job. And it's made all harder if we can't communicate in language people can't understand. So even at that level, why are we saying things like sex is not binary? I really don't know. I I can't answer the question, right? I I genuinely don't know. And when I've tried to interrogate it, um, it's been made clear that these are questions you don't ask. Within the group, within the group of MSPs, we've had a couple of, we've had a few conversations about this. They've not got anywhere. Um, conversations I've had within the wider party have been met with uh, with disinterest. So, and I've never needed, I've never felt the need to push that. I mean, you, life, life's busy. There's a lot going on, um, and you pick your fights and you you deal with what's in front of you. And I suppose it's interesting, I was speaking to some colleagues in the party, long-standing ones, who've said, you know, there are, there's quite a lot of people who've got some disquiets about elements of this debate, let's say, not not, not the core policy, get on to that if you want. Um, but it never, it, never, um, it never comes to head for them. Whereas it came to head for us last Thursday. Mm-hmm. And we had a choice. And, you know, one of the options was to absent myself. And I said, I don't run away from any vote. Why would you run away from a vote? So we had a choice. And uh, in my view, 
we made the wrong choice. But it is just my view. We are a plurality. I mean, you know, if other people got other views, that's fine. It's not so much that we decided as a group to vote no. And, and I, you know, there's, there's a logic in voting no. I, 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 could, I could stand up and make a speech why should we vote no. But I thought the context of that debate, what it was actually about, the ease with which we could agree with it, I would hope, because, I mean, all the equality groups were saying this is nothing about equality, it's about victims. So they're fine. You're getting a buy to do something that is the right thing. So it's not so much that it was, it's just the, and it's not my parliamentary colleague so much. I mean, they wouldn't pursue me. It's, it's the fact that within our party, there are people who have very, very fixed views on this and do not tolerate dissent. And I've already been the victim of that. And it was absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt that they would come for me over this. And I don't want to give them a scalp. So had I voted yes, I would have resigned straight away. And uh, as I say, I hadn't worked out the consequences of that. So, Was there a doubt on, you know, last Thursday, Was would there have been a doubt for Patrick, for instance, that you might actually vote yes and vote against the, the, the group? Oh, yes. No, to be clear, I mean, I didn't. I, um, I left the discussion about how we should vote on the basis I, I left that uh, saying that I hadn't yet decided. Because you're not whipped, are you, in the Greens? No, we don't have a so sort of speak. whipping <laughs> system. No, we don't have that yeah. kind of system. We we have a system whereby uh, we are reach agreement by consensus. Uh, that's a structured process. So um, this all happened fast, remember, of course. We were stage three of a bill in a committee which we don't have anyone, a member anymore. Um, Alison Johnson was on the health committee. So it all happened fast. It happened in a, in a week, a month, a year. Everyone's very stressed. There was a lot going on that week. Uh, but standing orders dictate that if you're going to vote against a group, you tell them your proposition and you have a discussion and there's the options of not voting, abstaining, whatever. Um, but there are consequences if you consciously vote against. And it's not so much that those consequences would be particularly severe within the group because I just don't think that I have colleagues who are that vindictive. Consequences would have arisen from the wider party. But yes, if you vote against the group, there are potential consequences. But like there is in any party, right, we do it slightly differently. You said to me that you felt ashamed of how you voted on Thursday. Yeah, because I didn't... I wasn't true to myself. And it's really funny, because part of this is about my own integrity and the own, my ability to look myself in the mirror. And um, I guess people in public life, elected members and stuff, I, I guess this happens on a regular basis, right? You reach points where you have to make decisions. I've reached points in the past where I've had to make decisions. The decisions I made in the past to sort of accommodate my critics were ones I felt that genuinely were on balance probably the best decisions to make um, to try and avoid strife um, and achieve the greater good. I had ambitions to do stuff. The difference on Thursday was that we were faced with a vote in the chamber. And we were faced with a vote on an issue, never mind me being emotional about this. This is about the most profound issue we could discuss. We didn't. This is... this is. So it, it carried with it of meaning and consequences for, for, for women who have daughters and mothers and sisters and victims, the like of which I can properly comprehend. And it seemed to me that the least I could do was to acknowledge that and agree. So that's why, qualitatively, that was very different, totally different. But you voted no. But I voted no. Yeah. Exactly. And I suppose the other bit of that is the perception. So basically nine of you, Lib Dems and the Greens, voted no. And it's mainly all men. Well... I suppose, I don't know, if it'd been all women, would that have been different? I don't know. But yes, I think it would be different. It's just the perception. No, 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 absolutely. It was all men discussing how we should vote. Yeah. 
after that, what did you think? Like, how long did it take you to then think, oh, I've made a mistake? Straight away. <laughs> 113 to 9. What's that all about? Well, what did the party think it was about? What did the group think that was about? Did Patrick think I don't that know. Was you I, 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 can't right? speak. I can't speak for others. I can't speak for the group, and I don't want to criticise my colleagues. Um, I do know that people... There is a view that if you voted yes, you're a transphobe and a bigot. In which case is 113 of them in the Scottish Parliament, and there are not. I wouldn't even say there's one. I don't do it. I, I don't do this. You don't agree with me on something I feel so strongly about that I'll call you a phobe or a bigot. There might be some bigots. We're all bigoted. We're all prejudiced. We all carry these things with us. I'm prejudiced. We're all prejudiced. <laughs> the whole thing about this is to try and confront and understand our prejudices. And I think prejudice was not display. Bigotry was not display that day, but it, I don't think it came from the 113. I think it came from the nine. Not consciously, no. I, I, as I say, no one, no one I don't think found that, well, Plenty of people would found that vote fairly straightforward. A lot of people did not vote the way they wanted to, and that cuts both ways. And I don't think there was anyone, either in the 113 or the 9, who were voting for bigoted reasons. But there were some very ill-advised processes and choices that led to how some people voted. I mean, at the heart of this, Andy, Parliament should be a place for debate and thinking and interrogation. And it feels like that's how you came into all of this and that wasn't achieved or hasn't been achieved around this particular subject. No, it hasn't. And it's one of the wonderful things about Scottish politics, and it's probably the case in UK politics as well, or in terms of Parliament, is that I didn't think you could have a real big Barney with someone and fundamentally disagree with someone and then have a cup of tea. I didn't think that was possible, like, you know. Um, but it is. Because you have to. Well, there's two things to that. One, you can't argue with each other all the time. <laughs> um, the personal has to be separated from the political at a certain level in order for there to be any chance of any cross-party cooperation and discussion going on. And this has been a great parliament, been a minority government. Everyone's had the chance to um, test the limits of ideas, to challenge the government, to build alliances. I don't think we've done as well as we might have, but the chance has been there to every single member to do that. And I was very early on, I was pleasantly surprised how easy it was to get on with people, even people with very different political ideas than myself. And, you know, years ago, I read a book called The Iron Laws of Power, which is one of these American bestsellers, um, taking lessons from Sun, Sun Tzu's Art of War, Machiavelli, these people, most of it's military stuff. Um, and the one that me, struck me most was, and I've lived with ever since, is don't make an enemy you don't need. But sometimes you do need an enemy. So they're not really an enemy. You don't personalise it, but they are a, they're a cause, they're a, a viewpoint, they're a, an institution, a, an idea that you plant there firmly as something you're in opposition to. And sometimes you need that. You don't need that all the time, but sometimes you need that. So choose what you're going to fight against carefully. But other than that, don't burn your boats, don't, whatever. And in a sense, I suppose that's partly what's behind this as well. I don't understand why any political party that wants people to support it would not seek to conduct its politics, its posture, its messaging, its language in a way that seeks to draw people in to a discussion on difficult areas rather than reject them. I just don't, it's not what I would do. So, yeah. So once you'd come out of that debate and basically I guess you decided almost immediately that you would be resigning? Not immediately, no. Okay. Took a couple of days? No, Friday morning took 12 hours. <laughs> almost immediately. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the sleep involved in there. There was. Um, not a lot. Tell me how that was received by the group. Um, well, I'm very, I was very conscious that... Um, Anyone resigning from a political party? I mean, we've had, we've got four independents in the parliament now. It's me, Derek Mackay, Michelle Ballantyne, Mark McDonald. 
Um, now, we know the story of Mark and, and Derek. Um, Michelle, she's resigned because the Tories are not Tory enough, I don't know. Um, I mean, I think my, my resignation has been on a, obviously, a different matter, but also with more, there's more stuff going on. There's possibly more consequence. Um, and it feels very betraying to leave your tribe, to leave your clan, to leave your... I mean, this, in a sense, must be part of what it feels like to divorce, I guess. I mean, not as emotionally draining as that. I guess, I don't know, I've never done it, so I guess sometimes that's probably OK. Probably involves sex and gender as oh, yeah, well. <laughs> absolutely. Could well do. Um, so, yeah, no, it feels like a betrayal, and I knew what I needed to do by conceding that we need a week to talk about how to handle it, try and, you know, manage the process... I was conscious I was opening myself up to a very significant amount of pushback and persuasion. And that's varied from, we, you know, we can't afford to lose you. Um, why, why over just... That's been the interesting one. Why, this is not that important. So those have been interesting discussions. Um, we've got lots to do together. And what was really interesting was... And some of those discussions have been with people that are... My, who totally understand where I'm coming from um, and totally sympathetic, and they're with me. Some of them have been with people who are, have been hostile to my decision and think it will damage the party. But all of those discussions I've come out of more resolute than before, which kind of surprised me. I thought I might buckle, <laughs> you know, because I'd think, well, okay, that was last week. Didn't vote the way I thought I would want to. Yeah, we can move on. But what's made me resolute is the fact that I know that the heart of this problem for me is being in a party that has got what I consider, and this is important, this is just me, other people may not share it, and that's fine, has a degree of intolerance that is, um, I've never ever encountered my life before. And I know that's there, and I know that no amount of, oh, let's review this and let's talk about it and let's have a process is going to get over that, at least quickly. I mean, maybe it will, maybe it will, I don't know. But when? I don't really trust that process will deliver anything. And I, I don't want to hang around for that. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not invested in... I'd like... I, I want to play a, a role in trying to map a way through this, because I think there is a way through this, right? That's the, that's the irony of this. Um, but, I, yeah, I mean, every time I got pushback, some of those pushbacks were, yeah, I mean, we've had some difficult conversations this week, but I've never regretted my decision. So, Gemma, this is the part of the podcast where we would normally look at the thing that's really irritated either one of us the most, I guess, over the last couple of weeks. Um, but I think, you know, given we've had a good old rant about how awful 2020 has been, should we try and end with a bit more of a kind of, what are our hopes for 2021? What are your hopes? We can certainly try. Oh, I just hope that we can see family again, you know, without having to wait too much longer. I hope that this the vaccine is rolled out as quickly as possible and then we can put this behind us. Um, I hope for the, the school kids that they can get their education back on track and uh, those who are most disadvantaged because of what's happened get the support they need. Um, I mean, as you said earlier, it's shown up a lot of inequalities um, and education is yeah. one of and them. And of course we have an election <laughs> coming up. So, I mean, this obviously yeah. this will be an election around the recovery, but I think we all know this is also going mm -hmm. to be an election about an independence referendum as well. And I think that's going to be yeah. quite a hard balance to get right for the SNP that they have to be saying we're focused on getting the country back on track. We've also got Brexit, Gemma, which neither of us mentioned at all. Um, we haven't mentioned, yeah. Yeah. 
I think that the scenes down south at the moment are just I insane. I mean, I guess if I could hope that. for anything, I would say, why can't we hope for an extension, another extension, and perhaps a rethink on Brexit? Although, yeah. you know, it's easy for us to say that in Scotland, where there's this a genuine feeling that this is the wrong decision that's been made. Um, I guess like you, I hope for I hope the vaccine comes in quick. I hope they get that organised and people get vaccinated um, and we get back to some normality and that we can, in this time next year, be looking mm-hmm. back saying, God, did you remember 2020? Um, I mean, it's been, and I, you know, I think I also hope we come out of all of this and we can take a reasoned look at what happened and we can also apply some humility and some kindness because, you know, whatever you think about the decisions made by Nicola Sturgeon or Boris Johnson, they've had to steer us through this. And I don't envy them. Yeah, I mean, I do we we learn from this um, that is yeah one of my biggest hopes we don't just go back to life as it was before this we need to have learned something yeah I absolutely agree I, mean, I, I think a few times this year I've said to people do you know I remember with the financial crash in 2008 we all said this will never happen again we won't go back to the way we were living and uh, actually we did so yeah this has been such a collective hurt that you hope that we all start to come through it and heal together. Mm-hmm. I can't remember when this be kind um, sort of movement was. Was that this year? Was but it? that that I don't know. You know, but that definitely is is what we need to be. As you say, we need to be more understanding of other people. And I think for once, I, I sincerely mean this when I say that politicians can do something about that. And we wish everybody a happy new year and uh, look forward to a healthy 2021. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Politically Speaking. Remember to share this podcast with all your friends and colleagues. Plus, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And remember to check out the latest news from all of us at hollywood.com. Oh, and if you hear someone say, I'm not interested in politics, tell them you know a podcast that can help them with that. Thank you.